for uh, seven years, Donna, my wife, and I were um, in ministry at Toccoa Falls College, the assistant uh, campus pastor and the assistant pastor at Campus Community Church. And so anytime I can uh, stand in for David and Jeannie while they're away, it's a real joy. Um, so thank you for having me this morning, and thank you, Pastor, for this privilege. Uh, we'll uh, go a little old school uh, a couple of times today, and what that means is there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, I'd ask you to pick that Bible up right now. Would you mind? It's a, either a black cover, blue cover, red cover. We have a variety, a patchwork of Bibles. They're all God's Word. Please don't worry. Um, and uh, would you turn to Luke, the second chapter? For those of you who may not be familiar with the Word of God, it's in the last 20% of the book. So um, it's near the back, and uh, the, chat, the Bible uh, um, um, is, is uh, broken into in books, and this is titled Luke, and it's, um, it's the second chapter, and we'll get there in just a moment. As I thought about today, and as I thought about this, um, this particular Sunday, this uh, new day, this new year, this new opportunity for us as Jesus followers, I, um, I thought about um, um, uh, a title, and um, in, in your worship folder and on the front of your worship folder is the title of What's Next? And I would start with an example of What's Next? And it has to do with our oldest child. His name is Matthew. Uh, Donna and I um, uh, were living in Asheville, North Carolina, and I was working at a small rural hospital uh, just south of the city of Asheville in 1980. And uh, Donna was expecting our first child. And Donna was expecting Matthew, uh, we didn't know the gender at the time, but we were expecting sometime in September. It was a warm August day, August the 26th, I'm sorry, August the 10th was a Sunday. And uh, Donna and I thought, well, let's go for a walk. And if you know anything about Asheville, there are a number of parks and uh, the Blue Ridge Trail and everything around there is, is outdoors and it's just a wonderful place to be. And so we did a little hiking on Sunday, August the 10th. Didn't think much about it until about midnight, August the 11th. Um, we were three weeks early, well, almost four weeks early. And uh, the hike apparently uh, did wonders for delivering a child. Uh, uh, so uh, early in the morning, Donna awakens me a little after midnight and she says, I think something is happening. And uh, we never had a child before. And I said, well, what does it feel like? She says, I think I'm in labor. I said, well, why don't you just rest a little while and let's go back to sleep. You know what's happening now, don't you? So uh, I go back to sleep. I'm not sure what Donna did during that time, but I went back to sleep. And about uh, four o'clock, she said, uh, no, I'm in labor. And uh, I said, well, how do you know? <laughs> she said, uh, just trust me, honey, I'm in labor. And so we went to the hospital where I worked. And uh, Matthew was born about seven o'clock that morning, August the 11th, 1980. Uh, about three and a half weeks early. Uh, Matthew was born at five pounds, four ounces. 
Uh, he was a healthy child. He was number 12 in the nursery. We didn't have many babies delivered in our hospital at that time, and so you knew the number. And 12, which is, I don't know whether it was a full moon, I don't know whether the planets had aligned, I don't know what happened, but we had 12 babies uh, that day um, in, in, that, in the nursery, and Matthew was number 12. And somehow, um, um, they moved him to the front of the window. And, um, and even then, um, people loved to talk to Matthew, look at Matthew, appreciate Matthew. And Donna was, um, Donna was um, in the hospital, I guess, a couple of days. It was normal routine. Um, he was healthy, and she was healthy, and, and uh, they sent us home. And Matthew, when we went home, was four pounds, nine ounces. Lost a little weight. New parents, no owner's manual, just uh, uh, going home with a baby. I'm struck by the conclusion of our Christmas holidays. We know the Christmas story. We know there was a man, Joseph. We know there was a young woman, Mary. We know there was a baby, Jesus. We know he was born in a stall, a stable, a, a not clean place. We know that he was wrapped in cloths, scraps that they could find. We know that they put him in a manger or what was known as a feeding trough. All of those things occurred. And I thought, well, here we are at the end of the Christmas story. What's next? What are you and I going to do with the Christmas story? What did Mary and Joseph and Jesus do? with the Christmas story? What did Mitch and Donna do with the birth of a child? And so I'd like to explore three areas with you this morning about that, about what's next. I invite you to, to join with me, join your heart and your mind with me as we think about what's next in your walk and in my walk as we follow Jesus. Before we go any further, would you pray with me, please? Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful to be in this place today. We're grateful to assemble with people of like minds and hearts. That really is the church. We really, God, we really don't go to church. God, we are the church. And so gathering together as your believers is what we do. And so thank you, Father, for this time, for this place, and for this word. From the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, as we look at your word together, we give you thanks for all that you do in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. So once Madonna and I were home, all we really knew to do was to bathe the baby. Uh, that's what they had showed us at the hospital. They showed us how to bathe the baby and to change diapers. That's really all we knew. And so we were a product of what people told us. And people told us such things as, when he's asleep, vacuum your house. Now, I thought that one was really odd. I thought, well, if a baby is asleep, let's leave the baby to sleep. They said, no, no, you want to condition the child so that noises don't bother you. And in fact, when you vacuum your house, bump the crib as you vacuum. Well, there was no owner's manual. We were just listening to people tell us what they thought we should do. Things I thought maybe they had done. We were moving on with our life. We were moving on 
with our child. We didn't know what to do, so we listened to others. And so uh, you would find me vacuuming our house while Matthew was sleeping. Day and night, I was vacuuming the house. <laughs> and I was bumping his crib every time I could while I was vacuuming, and he'd sleep right through it. Today, Matthew can sleep anywhere. We're at our house last Sunday, Christmas. It was a bit chaotic at times while we were eating and presents and things. And Matthew sat down on the couch and fell asleep. Sound asleep. I take some credit for that. But you and I, as we walk life's way, whether it's a, with a child or with, with our work, with our business, we just keep moving along life's way. And I think that's what Mary and Joseph did. And the evidence I have of that is in Luke, the second chapter, starting in verse 21. And so it says in verse 21, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name that was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The important aspect there is that they, as parents, moved forward. They knew on the eighth day, according to Jewish custom and tradition, that the baby was to be circumcised. And they did that. They moved forward. They kept walking life's course. And now when the time came for him to be purified, according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So we're past the stable. We're past the inn. We're past the shepherds. We may yet be waiting on the wise men to arrive at their home, but they have certainly moved beyond the Christmas story, the story that you and I know so well, the story that we heard again last week. Mary and Joseph and Jesus have moved on. And now they're coming back to Jerusalem. He's, been, he's being circumcised and he's being presented. According to the law of Moses, all firstborns have to be presented as an offering to God. And they are following what they knew to do next. Just as is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be set apart for the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is specified in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. The preference of the day when you or I would take a firstborn male or firstborn child to be uh, presented, the preference of the day was to bring a lamb. The preference of the day was to bring a goat. And Mary and Joseph obviously couldn't afford either one. They brought doves and pigeons. Those were easily purchased. They were very small in price and readily available in Jerusalem at the temple site. They brought what they had. It wasn't what other people brought. These were poor people. Our Savior's earthly parents were poor people. And they brought what they had and they offered it. But I think the observation that I have is that oh, they follow life's course. So what's next for you and me beyond the Christmas story is we follow life's course. And your life has a course and my life has a course. For some of us that course is business, commerce, industry, trade. For some of us that course is ministry. Meeting the needs of others. For some of us, that course is retirement. Where we have worked and earned and saved and now we rest a bit. 
Whatever life's course is, there's evidence that Mary and Joseph and Jesus followed life's course beyond the Christmas story. That in eight days he was circumcised. They knew to do that. They knew to present him in Jerusalem, and they did that. They knew to make an offering on his behalf, and they did that. They followed life's course. And as I thought about Matthew, and I thought about Donna and I, Mary and Joseph moved on to bathe their baby, to feed their baby, to clothe their baby, to find shelter for their baby, just like you or I would do. So the point of the Christmas story for us is just a launching point. It's the first step in what's next. And for you and me as believers, the what's next is to follow life's course. But I think there's more. I think there's more. And so I'd like to look next at another passage of Scripture. I'd like to look at Matthew uh, 13 through 15, Matthew chapter 2. And yes, I know I asked you to hold Luke chapter 2, and we're going to get there. Please, please, we'll get there. But this passage in Matthew, I think, is really important for us. So the first observation is follow life's course. But there's more. And it says in verse 13, Matthew chapter 2, After they, and the they is the wise men, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to look for the child to kill him. Then he, that would be Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and went to Egypt. And he stayed there until Herod had died. In this way, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet was fulfilled. I called my son up out of Egypt. I don't know about you, but the voice of the Lord in this case caused action. And you'll say to me, Mitch, well, I haven't had a dream where the voice of the Lord spoke to me. Some of you have. Many of us have not. And certainly, if I have a dream and the voice of the Lord spoke to me, I get up and I do whatever he said to do. And I'd say, hmm, not so much. We have the very Word of God at our disposal, the power of the Word of God at our disposal, and, and yet we as Jesus followers don't always live according to the Word of God. There's sin in our lives, despite the presence of Jesus. There's things that we do and say among ourselves that are not aligned to the Word of God, despite having it in front of us. And so the voice of the Lord in this circumstance was protecting the child. The voice of the Lord was clearly giving Joseph and Mary direction and guidance. And what did Joseph do? He responded. He responded promptly. The text indicates that Joseph was asleep and there was a dream and there was a voice and then there was action. There wasn't a long delay. Life had moved on. They were in a dwelling. This is beyond the Christmas story. The wise men had come, which didn't occur in the manger. The wise men traveled. The wise men were at their home. The wise men presented gifts. The wise men had come and the wise men had gone. And God is giving direction. But that's not the only direction God gave. Further down in the same text, we'll start reading in verse 19. After Herod had died, 
So Mary and Joseph and Jesus are safely in Egypt, away from Herod, and away from the destruction of life that Herod created. And after Herod had died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. So he, that's Joseph, got up and took the child and his mother, and they returned to the land of Israel. But when he, that's Joseph, heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he, that's Joseph, was afraid to go. And after being warned in a dream, he went to the region of Galilee. And he came to a town called Nazareth, and they lived there. Then what had been spoken by the prophets was fulfilled that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. So again, we have a voice. We have direction from God. We have people who are moving in life's way under the direction of God. And I think that's my second observation from the what's next is that we follow God's calling. And you say, Mitch, um, um, God has not called me in a dream. God has not spoken audibly to me. Well, maybe he has. Donna and I, uh, this week, were considering a purchase. It wasn't a small purchase, and uh, it was worthy of some thinking and some praying. And we left a location this week after having uh, thought about our purchase. And I confess to you that um, I, uh, I wanted to do this. I could see the look in Donna's eyes. I could see the joy as we thought about this for our future. And yet I confess to you that as we were there, and as we were thinking about this, there was something inside of me that said, wait for something better. Very clearly, wait for something better. I don't know what something better is going to be. I don't know when something better is going to arrive. I don't know if I'll see it on this side of eternity or the other side of eternity, but it was very clear to me, wait on something better. We didn't move forward with the purchase. I don't know if we will, when we will, what we'll do, but we did not do that. I have to think that's God's voice. And the reason I think it's God's voice is because you and I, when we choose to follow Jesus, when we're called into the ministry of Jesus' followers, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's as if Jesus himself is standing next to us. That's the uniqueness of our faith as Jesus' followers. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship with somebody who is closer than a brother. Who literally lives inside of you and of me. The reality with the apostles in the day when Jesus ministered on earth, those three years plus, was he had their physical presence. They were literally, he was literally with them day and night in all circumstance. But you and I, and they after his resurrection and after Pentecost, we have something deeper, richer, wider in the person and power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. So while you may say to me, Mitch, I've never heard the audible voice and I've never had an angel show up in my dreams at night. 
I say you only have to look as far as your heart for the person and presence of the Holy Spirit who is willing and able and does speak to us who follow Jesus. So the second observation, the first, the first observation is, is to follow life's course, that you and I just keep moving. When Matthew came home, we knew he needed more weight. The feedings ensued. We knew that when he was dirty, we changed his clothes. We knew he needed to rest. We knew he needed toys. Oh, did he need toys? We knew those things, and we just kept moving. We went, I went back to work. We went to church with our church. We just moved. But the second observation from the what's next is let's follow God's calling. But there's one more. And, 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 I'd like to, and I'd like to explore that one with you, if you wouldn't mind. And that's the Luke passage. So now that you've had your finger in Luke chapter 2, I'd like to pick up at verse 25. Uh, because it's a long text. And rather than put it on the screen for you, let's just use God's word together. So uh, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. This is after the circumcision. This is after the presentation as a firstborn male. Verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. So they've left their home. They're in another city. They're at the temple or around the temple. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, that's Joseph and Mary, bringing in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he, Simeon, took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to thy people Israel. And his father and mother, that's Mary and Joseph, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, and she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at the very moment she came up and began to give thanks to God and continued to speak of him, that's Jesus, 
to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything, the they being Joseph and Mary, when Joseph and Mary had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. And the child, Jesus, continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. The observation here is that we follow godly counsel. I don't know where you receive input. I don't know who you seek when you have a problem or when you have a joy. I don't know who you talk to. I don't know where you go. There are a number of fine therapists People who are professionally trained to help us in certain situations and in diversity. And family, family can share the joy that you and I may have in our work or in our life or in the lives of others. I don't know where you go for godly counsel. But I know where Joseph and Mary were when they received godly counsel. They were with people who loved Jesus. They were in proximity to people who loved Jesus. I'm not suggesting for a moment, and Don and I have talked about some of our Sundays, wouldn't it be nice if we were able just to stay home and, and we could just watch church on TV? There's so many good churches on TV today. You have James Merritt, you have Charles Stanley, you have Andy Stanley. You have, you have a whole cast of characters who are ministering the very Word of God in a righteous way. But then you're not in proximity to Jesus' followers. You're in proximity to your television. And I believe God will move through all of that through a TV. It's one of those remarkable technologies that God uses to save people every day. But where are you going to receive godly counsel? I'm not sure the TV is going to do that for you or for me. Where are you going to be in proximity to people who love Jesus and can shoulder and share your joys and your burdens? I'm not sure the TV is going to do that for us. And I'm not railing on televangelists. I'm really not. I'm just saying to us, the temptation on a rainy, foggy day would be to stay home and receive the Word of God. And could we receive the Word of God? Absolutely. Positively. But then we're not in proximity to faithful saints, other Jesus followers, who would help us with godly counsel. And what we know about Simeon and Anna was that they were godly people that offered counsel and blessing to a couple with a new child. A couple with a special child. A couple whose child would bring the rising up and the falling of many within the children, within the, within the children of Israel. That would, would, would bring salvation to Gentiles, by the way, you and me. So as we think about the observations of what's next after the Christmas story, and as you and I maneuver our lives in 2017, I think our first thought is, 
let's let's um, let's let's keep moving in life's course. And let's listen more carefully and deliberately for the Lord's calling. And let's be thoughtful about godly counsel. Now, I use the, uh, uh, the, um, the, the, the church, this building, the structure as a place that you and I, if we're in proximity here, we're in proximity to Jesus' followers in this room today. But it doesn't have to be here alone. You just have to be in proximity to followers of Jesus. The, one of those places is Hardy's. Hardy's Restaurant. How do I know that you can receive godly counsel at Hardy's Restaurant? Because I did. Uh, in the last, I don't know, 30, 60 days, um, Donna and I, I particularly, I like Hardy's Restaurant. It's not far from the church. There's never a crowd on Sunday after church. I don't have to wait in any line. Uh, the food is generally good. Uh, the price is really reasonable. I can get that triple stack beef so that I get protein and not the bread. You know, it's a wonderful place to go. If you don't go to Hardee's, I'm, I'll pray for you. <laughs> oh, good. There was some laughter. So Donna and I went to Hardee's one Sunday not long ago. And uh, as is often the case, um, uh, um, Kathy, uh, yeah, there, are, there were other people there. Uh, Ralph and Winworth were there. Now I walked in the door and I kind of saw them out of the corner of my eye, but it looked like they were nearly finished and I thought, we're not going to interrupt their meal. Donna, for her part, went right over, interrupting or not, and Winworth invited us to sit with them. And I received godly counsel from Ralph Clark. Ralph's not as young as he used to be, and I think those years have given him wisdom that I admire. And we're sitting there at lunch and we're talking about the things of God in Hardy's restaurant. It isn't the place, it's proximity to Jesus' followers. And Ralph said, uh, you have to be able, and I wrote it down right away, I, I, quote, I, I don't know if it's yours, Ralph, but I'm attributing it to you because it's just so meaningful. You have to be able to see the invisible to believe in the impossible. That's godly counsel. You have to be able to see the invisible to believe in the impossible. The invisible is Jesus. And yet he's not so invisible because he indwells us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not so invisible because He has given us His Word. He's not so invisible because you and I can pray and speak with Him as any relationship would. We have to see the invisible. So, um, I, I, I just think that we have an opportunity um, as, as what's next after the Christmas story to keep moving. Uh, that we would follow life's course. It's really important that we follow life's course.
It's really important that we follow God's call. And it's really important that we seek and listen to godly counsel. Now, why? There's a verse in 1 Peter, and uh, we studied this last uh, quarter. Uh, for those of us in Bible study on Sunday morning, our church uh, is walking through the same content no matter the age. It's 1 Peter 2.17. And Peter, uh, the great apostle of Jesus Christ, later in his life before his own death, for the sake of Christ, told us three things, really told us four things, but three things we're latching on to. And if you go on our Facebook page as a church, if you, if you know anything about us, it's about honoring or respecting everybody. Uh, no matter the background. It, honor does not mean accept. Honor does not necessarily mean approve. But honor means show the love of Christ to everybody. Respect everyone. The second aspect is love the brotherhood. Love those that love Jesus. It doesn't say don't love those that don't love Jesus. But he's very clear. Love the brotherhood. Sisterhood. Love the saints of God. And he says, fear God. Not in a way that we are afraid of our Father. That's not a healthy relationship. And, and Jesus tells us that we should call God Daddy. The word is literally Daddy. And that's not a fearful relationship. It's a reverential relationship. And so for you and I as believers, as we move beyond the Christmas story, as we discover what's next in our lives in this new year, in order for us to do these three things, we really need to keep moving in our life, to listen to the voice of God, and to follow, seek and follow God to counsel. These will not be possible without those first three steps. I don't know what 2017 will bring. Now, you don't know what 2017 will bring. We can plan all day long. But what I do know is the God that you and I adore is already down the road on 2017 for you and for me. And that gives me great confidence that he knows what's next and that I don't have to. Lord, we thank you for the time that we've had in this place with your people in your word. It is your word and we handle it carefully. Father, I thank you for Mary and Joseph who got up out of the stall in the stable in the dank and dark and smells, who accepted the shepherds, who accepted those rich people and those wise people who came and worshiped their son, but then kept on moving. A house, a circumcision, feeding a child, bathing a child, clothing a child, and those children that followed. Father, I thank you for your leading of their lives. You very clearly directed them into Egypt and out of Egypt as prophets hundreds of years foretold. Father, I thank you for Simeon and for Anna 
that you preserved Simeon to see the king. That you, that Anna served constantly and was rewarded by a visitation of the Christ. But Father, all of that pales in comparison to the fact that you live within us. You're already inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, as we face this new year, whatever comes, to realize you are closer than a brother. You're literally here. With all due respect, we don't have to ask you to be here. We don't have to invite you to be here. With every saint of God who walked through the doors today, you are here. And where a few are gathered, you are glorified. So God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these days ahead. And we give you all the praise. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Bill is going to lead us in a, in a closing a song. Um, I, I would just ask that you listen to the words you're singing. Sometimes as believers, those of us who've been in the church a long time, these are well-known and well-worn. We could sing them without words and sing them without hymn books. They are that well-known. But this particular one, some of the words are startling. Be really thoughtful as we close this service with these words for your heart and for mine. And We'll do a couple of verses and Bill will dismiss us.